Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is, it is the God who said, excuse me, for it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness who is shone in our hearts to give light of the, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, I don't know if this is happening everywhere. I am not a keeper of national statistics. I am just a keeper of what is happening in the lives of my friends. And everybody I know is having children like this year. You may think it's just a weird uh, Sydney and I and uh, Emily and Tim problem because the whole office shut down for two months while we were all on paternity leave at the, and maternity leave at the same time. Oh no, it's not just my office. So prior to 2020, Sydney and I and our friend group were about the only ones with any kids. We have our beloved son, Thomas, who recently turned six. Uh, we were the first ones to get married. Uh, we were, even though we waited six years before we had Thomas, we were the first ones to have kids. And that kind of stood pat for a long time. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, my best friend Jimmy and his wife Kate had their daughter Margaret um, in June of 2020. My brother uh, and his wife Caitlin, they're all named Kate, his wife Caitlin um, had their daughter um, uh, in November of 2020. Then uh, Sydney and I um, had Esther uh, in January of 2021. Then Emily and Tim um, had uh, Susanna in February of 2021. Uh, just last week, uh, my uh, best friend growing up, Brian, uh, his son, Reese, came into the world on June the 17th. A couple weeks prior to that, the best man at my wedding, um, Matt Sawyer, uh, welcomed his daughter uh, into the world. They, like, most of my wedding party has had a child um, in the past year. Uh, and uh, 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 Kelly, uh, Sydney's friend Kelly, also had a daughter in the past year. And so I, I have not run the statistics on our wedding party, but it's most of them have had at least one kid in the past 12 months. Getting out of hand. 
but it also means I'm spending a lot of time talking to people about parenting and about what my experience as parenting has been and trying to offer advice to them or, you know, honest candor or a listening ear. And this sermon is not born out of the fact uh, that I, I have a five-year-old, five-month-old who's largely forgotten how to sleep. But I do have a five-month-old that has, and this is true, largely forgotten how to sleep. Parenting is often not what you think it's going to be. Parenting is often way harder and way more miserable, and you have way more dark and negative thoughts about it than most people are ever willing to admit. Um, there's this wonderful uh, book that I discovered uh, by a comedian um, named, what is this? There we go, Mike Biglia. I wrote this book about his uh, journey as, I love the painfully true stories, from a reluctant parent. His book is born out of a conversation he had with his wife once, that he was about to do a comedy panel on jealousy. He'd been invited to this thing at the Cannes Film Festival to talk about jealousy and how he uses that in his art. And he kind of made an offhand comment to his wife, yeah, what am I going to talk about? Who am I jealous of? His wife looked at him and went, you're jealous of our daughter. He was. Because his daughter, they had been together a long time. The daughter was a new baby. Any of us who have had kids know how that goes, right? You get pulled in all sorts of different directions. Your whole life is disrupted. Uh, you have this pattern. You have this spouse or this person in your life. And now it's all weird. And you end up, you squash these feelings deep down inside. And you never talk about them because you think it's inappropriate. And you're the only one who had them. We've all had these kinds of thoughts. If it wasn't jealousy, it's that we definitely, you know, wanted to kill our kids at some point because they were loud, noisy, smelly, awful, horrific, whatever, right? Or they broke things or they, you know, wake you up at four o'clock in the morning. And we all have these thoughts. We never talk about them. And so what Mike did is he wrote this book that then became um, a one-man show on Broadway to just kind of name all of these weird and negative and rough things that go through the minds of parents as a way of saying, it's okay, you're not alone, it wasn't just you, we all had these thoughts, maybe we can talk about them. Because the truth is, parent parenting is wonderful and parenting is terrible. And it is finding something in the midst of that. But I'm willing to bet any of us who are parents have at some point thought, why did I do this? Why did I take this on? Why do I do this? There's an answer to that question. And we see it in the impact that our parenting makes we see it that we have left a mark on this life, that we've poured something in to this life that matters. We see it in the good things our kids do. We see it in the people they grow up to be and know that we were a part of that. And we can take joy. And that's a joy that can never be taken away. That's a a part of us that can never be taken away, that we made a difference in that place, 
in those lives. Whether we are biologically related to these kids or not, whether we met these kids later in life or not, doesn't matter. I have the opportunity to do a lot of funerals and memorial services. What's fascinating is most of what's talked about in those places is not their earthly accomplishments, is not how successful they were in their jobs, was not how good their quarterly reports were. It's stories about family. It's about the parents and the grandparents and the great-grandparents, or the aunts and the uncles, or the weird adopted aunts and uncles, or whatever, right? It is often the mark that they leave on others, in their family, in their community, what they have poured in. And so for those of us who are children, we can think about what we, how we have been shaped by what our parents have poured in. And for those of us who are parents, grandparents, weird uncles, whatever, we can take comfort in knowing the difference that we have made. And that idea sits actually at the heart of what's happening with Paul in today's scripture. One, Paul is having parenting problems. The heart of today's scripture is Paul working through a parenting issue. Paul has no like earthly progeny. Uh, what he has are churches. He gave birth to churches. He, you know, he has no son. He has no daughter. What he has is the church of Corinth and the church in Galatia and the church in Thessalonica um, and worshiping communities around the Mediterranean. Those are his children. And so what we're watching in 2 Corinthians is an argument between Paul um, and one of his particularly knuckleheaded set of children, because the church in Corinth can be a real challenge. The church in Corinth is Paul's like um, highfalutin, um, overachieving child that has decided that their humble parent is uh, not good enough for them. And so they're looking for much more important looking parents. And specifically, these other wannabe apostles have showed up in Corinth and they are putting Paul down because they are far fancier than Paul. They are able to do far greater works of power. They know the Bible far better than Paul. Paul makes fun of these people later in uh, 2 Corinthians by calling them the super apostles. Uh, Paul's not above a little bit of sarcasm in these Super apostles are saying, uh, look at me, pay no attention to Paul. I know he founded you, but we are more on your level. And the Corinthians are lapping this up because the Corinthians really think highly of themselves. They are often uh, referred to sarcastically um, by theologians as First Church Corinth, right? Whether you grew up Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal or, or Presbyterian, however you grew, if you grew up in the church and you, anywhere in your town, there was a first church, uh, we have a few of those in our town, there's a certain attitude that comes with first church. That's Corinth. And so Paul's writing to his knuckleheaded child, first church Corinth, about why they should listen to him as an apostle. It is Paul a little bit on the defensive to try to explain where his authority as an apostle comes from because he doesn't do the super magic tricks of the super apostles. And so that's what leads Paul to write one of his more famous and beautiful lines, which is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we 
referring to himself as the royal we, the royal we, we have this treasure in jars, in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Quick note on clay jars. Okay, in the modern world, we go to decorator stores and we buy $20 clay vases that we can put on a shelf and look at and we go, we are very fancy. We have earthenware jars. Look how stylish we are. And when we find broken uh, earthenware jars from the ancient times, we carefully dig them up. And then archaeology students have to glue them back together. And then we put them in museums. And then we walk through museums and go, clay jars, very fancy. In the ancient world, clay jars were not very fancy. They were takeaway Tupperware containers. They were the thing everyone had that no one cared about that, like, gets chewed up eventually by either your microwave or your dishwasher or both. Um, that uh, three years ago, a thing of queso came in, but you were never going to get rid of it because it's a, it's a Tupperware jar. It's a Tupperware container, and so then it, like, rolls around the bottom of your truck until it melts the floor. Real thing that happened to me once. Clay jars are not fancy. It's a thing everyone had that everyone used, that if they got broken, it didn't matter because you could just go get more takeaway from El Toro and they were going to give you like six of these things. Only two of them contained margaritas, right? Like this is, everyone used them. They are the most basic container that working class, upper class, everyone had them. The reason why we have so many clay jars in museums is because they are, there were a lot of them and they broke constantly and it was fine. This isn't, look at me, I am a clay jar, here I am on a shelf. This is, look at me, I am takeaway Tupperware. But into this takeaway Tupperware has been poured a treasure of immeasurable value. Imagine something like the, the Hope Diamond or the Corinor Diamond. Like, imagine a diamond the size of your fist resting in an El Toro's queso container. That's the analogy. That's what it means for great treasure to be put in jars of clay, is putting the Hope Diamond into El Toro's takeaway Tupperware. It is to say, Paul is not anything, no any of us are anything of, of particular value. We're a child of God, but the, we're just a vessel that God pours God's light into. And that is the thing that is of immeasurable value. What God has poured in to us, a jar of clay, a takeaway Tupperware container of a form. Paul's authority as an apostle doesn't come from being fancy. It doesn't come from being highfalutin. It doesn't come from his knowledge, although he has a fair amount of that. It doesn't come from the aura he projects. No, it comes not from anything about him, but from what God has poured into him. That Paul can share the light of Christ with others. That is what gives him value as an apostle. That he has been marked as a child of God. That is the thing that makes him matter as an apostle. It's the same thing that makes any of us matter. 
that we bear that mark as children of God. And for Paul, being an apostle and, and going through what he did has not been an easy journey. Verses 8 through 12 lay out that um, our friend Paul, God love him, has been through a lot. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for the sake of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul gets shipwrecked. Paul gets arrested. Paul gets beaten and brutalized. Paul gets rejected. Paul gets run out of town. Paul has to deal with his knuckle-headed children um, turning on him. Paul has to deal with a mountain of disappointment. Paul gets imprisoned and killed by the Romans. But in all of that, Paul sees that the most important thing doesn't go away. That he is perplexed, but not driven to despair oppressed, but not crushed, persecuted, but not forsaken, because that thing that God had poured into him, the life and death of Christ, the light of God stays with him, cannot be destroyed, cannot be ripped out, cannot be taken away. The light that shines from him wasn't put in there by him, it was put in there by God and cannot be taken away. That this fundamental thing about him is that in accepting Christ into his heart, in finding his way into ministry, he bears the mark as a child of God and that's not going anywhere. And so yeah, the Christian life may not always look like we thought, much like parenting, me and Christian may not always look like we think it's going to, right? You hear, I am richly blessed, and that is true. And then you think, all my problems will go away. Not quite. So sometimes you will be crushed. You will feel crushed, but you will not be destroyed. And sometimes you will be rejected but not left unloved. And yes, sometimes you will be abandoned, but you will not be forsaken because God will always be there with you. All of your problems do not go away, but you carry with you something that cannot be taken away. That thing that you can never be truly crushed, that you can never be truly destroyed, that you are a child of God, you bear the light of God. That ain't going anywhere. You bear within you something eternal and beautiful that cannot be destroyed. When you found your way to God, when you received God's spirit, you were given something beautiful and something eternal that can never be taken away from you. And you can know as you go through the ups and downs of life, you bear the mark of God. 
and that can now never be taken away. Just as you bear the mark of who your parents made you into, and just as our own children um, and grandchildren and kids that we have been a part of, however that has happened, because life's complicated, weird, and when you're in a church show, there are a lot of kids, and we get to bless a lot of them. Just as all of those that we have blessed bear a mark of us, we all bear the mark of God. And so we can never be crushed. We can never be destroyed. We will never be abandoned. When we find our way to God. That is what we find. And like children, we can wander off. But God's never going to take that away from us. And nothing else will either. But it's also why we as a church have a fundamental value that found people find people. That if what we've been talking about today is what it means to be a found person, to bear this mark of God, to be a child of God, to never, you know, not be able to be crushed, not to be able to destroyed because of what we carry with us, maybe other people need to find out about that too. There are a lot of people that feel like they are being absolutely crushed and destroyed that they're being abandoned, that they're being left to despair because they do not know that God can pour into them something that can never be taken away. And so if you are a found person, you know that God loves you. You know that you carry that love of God in you. Find other people who don't know that and share it with them. Because we have something truly remarkable. We will face hardship. But God found us and we found God. Let's help others do the same. Let us pray. Gracious my God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you found us. That we could find you through the power of your grace. There you are. And that we bear your mark. And that can never be taken from us. But loving God, may we not hoard that for ourselves. May we get out into the world. May we share that love that others may know. They do not have to be oppressed or crushed or destroyed. Even in the midst of the trials of life, they will know they have this peace that can never be taken away. That they, as we are, are your child. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen.